Secure ship for sea. Make all preparations for getting underway. Aye, aye, sir. Ah, the peaceful countryside. What more romantic way to enjoy it? <laughs> So glad you could come along. I am the Dream Finder. Horizons One is now departing. Our final destination today. W, w Radio. Your information station. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 370 for the week of July 20th, 2014. I am here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for Nat Disney, my audio tours, and lots more. You can find everything over at wdwradio.com So Walt Disney World has changed a great deal over the past four decades. It's grown exponentially, adding a wide variety of new experiences, but growth also sometimes means that existing things have to be taken away. So this week we're once again going to hop aboard my Walt Disney World Wayback Machine to look at the extinct restaurants of Walt Disney World. From the parks to the resorts, We'll visit some of the eateries from the past and some of Disney's forgotten foods. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week and pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned as I'll have some updates and announcements, including information about upcoming events in and around Walt Disney World. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. As someone who has visited Walt Disney World every year, at least once since it opened, with my first visit being back in November of 1971, I, like many of you, have seen many things come and go. We've seen the addition of new parks, lands, resorts, shops, and restaurants, but along the way we've had to say goodbye to some things as well. And while many people lament the shuttering of Mr. Toad, Horizons, 20,000 Leagues, and Stitch's supersonic celebration, Sometimes we forget about some of the other things, dare I call them attractions, that have closed as well. So this week, I'm going to combine two of my passions and loves about Walt Disney World, history and food, as we take a look at the extinct restaurants of Walt Disney World. And joining me is a man who also likes Disney history and a good handwich. He is Ryan Wilson, editor-in-chief of the Main Street Gazette. How's it going, sir? It's going well, but Ryan, I got to tell you, as I was getting ready for today's segment, I, I cry a little bit on the inside as I think about some of these because they were fun. They were often somewhat unique and many times very delicious. Very delicious indeed. <laughs> uh, I had the same kind of feeling that looking at this going, my, and my stomach would start start rumbling because like I remember eating that. That was great. Why don't we have that anymore? Yeah, and, and there are some things too that were. Um, 
different to say the least, and we'll uh, we'll we'll hit some of those as well. And 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 I like this because I always sort of geek out when I take people through the parks, and I like seeing if they remember where some of these places were. And and look, you know, I get strange looks all the time, but they get even stranger when I'm going. Oh, Gurgies, Munchies, and Crunchies. They're like, what's a Gurgi? What's a Gurgi? Gurgi? <laughs> Gurgi, Munchies, Crunchies. See, I, most people don't even know if that's accurate or not because they never saw <laughs> the Black Cauldron. So. No, and and and, they, and Disney tried to sweep that past us for a little while. <laughs> but I'm the same way. I get people all the time, you know, when we, when I'm in the parks, and I get the same strange looks because I'm like, and this was this, and they're, uh, are you sure? Yeah, so. like, why are you getting so excited about what this fast pass station used to be? So and I'm like, oh, because this is what they sold and, you know, but so I, I thought what we would, I think the simplest way to do it is, uh, you know, sort of turn the way back machine on and let's just go park by park and land by land and just hit some of the things that have changed or evolved and really kind of lost over time. And we were, we were saying, you know, certain times. People say, oh, you guys forgot about Refreshment Corner. Well, Refreshment Corner technically is still there. You know, it's just called Casey's Corner now. So names have changed, but I really wanted to focus more on the things that are no longer there. And and in saying that, I'm sure I'm going to go, oh, but don't you remember when this used to be called the Town Square Cafe? (laughs) Yeah, I had those same kind of notes. And we should probably warn people now they should probably get snacks because they're probably going to (laughs) get hungry listening. Yeah, we'll try and see if we can remember some of the food items as well. Oh, good. That's going to be a nice quiz. (laughs) So I'm going to let you go first. When you think of extinct restaurants or extinct dining locations, we should say, on Main Street USA, because it could be counter service, it could be food carts, whatever it might be, where do you go to first? The first thought, for whatever reason in my head, is the Town Square restaurant, which used to be much more Victorian. It was kind of more... A little bit more sophisticated dining than than Tony's Town Square restaurant. Yeah, so this was this was the uh, the Town Square Cafe. Mm-hmm. I think Oscar Meyer was the was it Oscar Meyer first and then Hormel before it changed to Tony's, which is now. I think it was Hormel and then Oscar Meyer is okay. how I think it went. Yeah, and you're right. So this it. it it was in the same location. Obviously, it didn't necessarily have the Italian menu that, that Tony's does. But this sort of gave you the sense that and, and I think it really tied in with this idea of what the exposition hall is now was really called a hospitality house. And it was meant right. to be that when you who were a visitor coming to this town at the turn of the century, you went to the hospitality house first. It's where sort of the hotel was. And this really would be sort of where the hotel's cafe would be. Definitely, uh, they wanted you to feel that warmth, that welcome, and you know, as a weary traveler, you would want a nice meal. You would want some place to sit down and relax and just take a load off for a few minutes. And my understanding was this was originally going to be called the Coffee Mill, uh, which was going to have um, free coffee, believe it or not, because I think uh, Folgers was supposed to be one of the original sponsors, and, and then that changed um, to actually being more of a, a sit-down restaurant and a, and a cafe. And I think it changed to Tony's. In like summertime, nineteen eighty nine, somewhere around there. Somewhere around there, yeah. I have it right around that, right around the turn of that decade. Yeah, and didn't they have when Oscar Meyer was the sponsor? Um, didn't they have? I don't want to say a character, but sort of an Oscar Meyer ish character or or like representative there too. I think I have some vague memory of some. Yeah, somebody necessarily not necessarily like a costume, but like. Somebody who was like supposed to be the, the Oscar, Meyer, the face of Oscar Meyer, kind of a thing. Right, right. 
So moving down uh, Main Street, USA, um, I, I wanna, I'm going to turn the corner to some place that sort of it, it literally straddles the border in between Main Street and Tomorrowland. And, and it kind of, depending on what map you looked at in what year, <laughs> sometimes it was in Tomorrowland, sometimes it was in Main Street, USA. Uh, you would pass the ice cream parlor and make a right. Uh, and actually, the Plaza ice cream parlor used to be Seal Test. And then I think it was Borden's originally, and then Seal Test. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, where the tomorrow, I still call it the Noodle Station. I don't know what to call it anymore now. Where <laughs> the Tomorrowland Terrace is, that was originally called the Plaza Pavilion. And then it was the Tomorrowland Terrace, and then it was the Tomorrowland Noodle Station. Uh, but that really was sort of the basic hamburger, hot dog, soda kind of place, whether it was part of Main Street or part of Tomorrowland. Right, and it's always had that ambiguous feel to it. You know, you could see, you know, it borders right on Main on Main Street. You have that great view of the Topiary Dragon, and you know, the, all these different pieces to it. And it, they they never seem to quite make up their mind if it was supposed to be more futuristic, if it was supposed to be more, you know, turn of the century. Um, but it was it was you know, but it was a nice outdoor place to sit and eat, and still is if you can catch it when it's open. Right, and and it, and it clearly like if you look at it now from the hub, it clearly has a Tomorrowland feel to it. So it says, "Oh, this should definitely be in Tomorrowland." Like, where is the the question? Where is the distinction? But at one time, and well, this is a, a separate. And I know we keep talking about how we're going to do this, but at one time, this was slated to be something called the Explorers Club, which is going to be an adventurous club type restaurant. It would be a, a sit down restaurant where there would be walk around characters from. You know, real characters from history like Galileo and Sir Isaac Newton, and there'd be a giant um, um, telescope up on top, and these people would sort of be regaling stories of you know their scientific exploits th- throughout uh, the, the you know the the years. So it would have sort of fit into that Jules Vernished you know era Victorian feel, but still had that futuristic look. So it would have been a, gr- a great bridge from Main Street Victorian era. Into Tomorrowland, absolutely, and it's it's it would have been the flip side to what we get when we, when you look at um, the Crystal Palace, which very much has that Victorian, you know, uh, colonial kind of going out into the jungle kind of feel to it, but still has that Main Street vibe. This would have been the same thing on the opposite end, looking at tomorrow through the telescope, having these having these great explorers from from days gone by, and it would have tied it together. And instead, now the border is basically that restroom. <laughs> so you know when you go into the restroom you don't know if you're in the past or in the future uh, <laughs> but if you think about it you know sort of a top-down view that would have been those have been two awesome gateways mm-hmm. you know restaurants that act as gateways and transitional elements other than just the bridges from main street into the land and i love the main street to Adventureland bridge i think that's one of the the great transition points in any of the disney parks tomorrowland is a little bit different because it's so wide open because there are so many different avenues into Tomorrowland. You have to sort of walk under that uh, archway to sort of get that, you know, change in that feel. But I think the one from Main Street to Adventureland is much more seamless and much more subconscious. And I think these two restaurants would have been really neat anchors for it. And actually, speaking of Crystal Palace, I think a lot of people don't remember you know, it's it's buffet now. It's you know hanging out with Pooh and friends, but it used to be cafeteria style until mm-hmm. like mid '90s somewhere. Yeah, and you see a lot of that when you start looking back at the history of the restaurants, where they would go from this, you know, cafeteria food court kind of 
kind of standard to more sit down, more uh, family friendly, friendly kind of dining kind of options. Yeah, and before we leave Tomorrowland, uh, do you remember there actually used to be a little snack bar um, underneath the, the uh, Main Street Railroad Station? It was called the Station Break, and it wasn't there very long. And now, obviously, there there's stroller rentals and wheelchair rentals and, and things like that. But at one point, right. you can get you know little snacks down there too. Yeah, that's, that's why I've, like it, it, there you, you catch it everywhere. There's a lot of little snack areas too that just have gone the gone the way of. Stroller rentals or fast pass machines or any of those kind of things. But yeah, I, I, ve- I have a vague recollection of that one. Yeah, so let's sort of go back to where we were in terms of the Crystal Palace moving into Adventureland because I always go clock. Like, whenever I go to the parks, I'm a clockwise person. Like, I go from Main Street to Adventureland as opposed to going to Tomorrowland first. And I love that transitional element. I, I love sort of getting over that bridge and, you know, all the things that, that, um, it represents and even sort of just the audio and the visuals and the greenery. But if you cross over that bridge and look to your right, currently where the uh, Tinkerbell meet greet area is, mm-hmm. that uh, that red tile roof covered building there used to become something called the Adventureland Veranda. And this building, even before you got inside, like this building was very cool because this is one of the few that does not use forced perspective, meaning it was built full size because they needed to hide. Once you got into Adventureland, you needed to hide Cinderella Castle off in the distance sort of to, so to keep continuity in the architecture and help you sort of suspend disbelief that you are actually now in a, an exotic land, you know, overseas somewhere. But inside, and I know we've been in there mm-hmm. recently, you know, relatively recently when they started serving sandwiches and things like that. It's a beautiful, like, mahogany ceiling building, and there are ceiling fans in there. And this was the Adventureland Veranda, and it had, like, sandwiches and fried chicken. But I think things got very interesting in the 70s when Kiko Man, the, the soy sauce mm-hmm. company, they took over, and you had things like teriyaki hamburgers with pineapple, uh, french fries and raisins on the side, sweet and sour hot dogs, and they had, like, a stir fry. And there too, so it really kind of, to me, tied in very well with not just Adventureland, but like with the Polynesian Village Resort, which was sort of meant to, you know, they're they're all kind of connected. Definitely, yeah, it was. It was one of those weird things where when it opened, you did, you had these, you had fried chicken and hot sandwiches, which don't necessarily feel like a jungle kind of a dish. And then when Kikoman comes in, you get these these great Polynesian dishes that would really beckon you from the hub. Like you could smell the grilled pineapple and the grilled meats and you'd want to go try it out. And let's just be honest, they could open the doors today and there'd be a line out the door uh, anytime for something like that in the parks. But they did. You had these great, you know, the second floor had these bamboo kind of patio looking things in the main dining hall. And you got to the side, there's this very Victorian stained glass on the windows. And it was just, an, it was an incredible place to go and eat. And, and it was a, you know, it's like we talked about with everything else. It was that gateway restaurant into the rest of Adventureland. And, you know, it's a big space, too. I mean, that's a big building. And yeah. there's, a, there's a full kitchen there, too. So it, I understand the need to give, you know, certain characters a home, especially an indoor home with, with air conditioning. But I still think, and, and maybe I'm holding out false hope, that the Adventureland veranda is still another great dining, a potential future dining option in Magic Kingdom. I think, I think, like I said, yeah, anytime they'd, they'd open the doors, people would come. You know, if they serve it, they will come. <laughs> um, 
but it, it, it's it's and it's such a unique and it's such a unique dining opportunity in that place that I, I I wish we got another chance and and I'm sure that there were hearts that sank everywhere the minute we brought it up because they all love the place too. All right, so sinking hearts will will transition me from one <laughs> lost treasure to another because I'm going to go all sentimental as if I don't always. And as a kid, I, I regret the rolling of my eyes and complaining to my dad when he wanted to go to where Guest Relations is now on Main Street USA to make his reservations, because you need reservations, mm-hmm. day of, for the Diamond Horseshoe Saloon. Because way back when, it wasn't a meet and greet, it wasn't a counter service, it wasn't a dance party. The old Diamond Horseshoe was really a saloon show with dancers and a band and a comedian. Like, it very much played off the original Golden Horseshoe yeah. in, uh, in Disneyland. But... You know, the, the, the player piano that's there now and that stage that's there now was really for a show. And it was a sit-down restaurant on the two levels. I, I loved being able to sit upstairs and, and look down. And it was a real show with real, like, table service food. And it was, uh, you know, we talk about dining experiences. You know, take sort of a, a light version of hoopty doo and mm-hmm. put that in, the di- in, in a, one of the most beautiful venues, I think, too, in Magic Kingdom. Oh, absolutely. The floor, yeah. I mean, the floors there are gorgeous. The, the, you know, the uh, pillars are gorgeous. The, you know, they have the, and you have the mounted uh, animals on the wall. It just, it looks gorgeous. It looks like an old-fashioned saloon. You know, you take every preconceived notion you have of a saloon, and they put it in there. And you had, you know, the girls in the the big skirts doing their can-can kind of dances, and you had, yeah, the comedic, you know, the comedian telling his stories and songs and the the music. And it was, it was very much, you know, the meal was was maybe a step down from like hoopty doo but the entertainment was just top notch yeah and, and you know and i said that because i used to complain like oh dad like really this week again he loved the diamond horse and maybe it was the can can cancers it could can, <laughs> cancers. It, it could have been the food whatever it was um but i you know a another and think about having again a another sit-down restaurant right inside magic kingdom Oh, absolutely! I, you know, it's one of those things that you, we think about oftentimes. Where the food at Magic Kingdom has, you know, especially at sit-down level, aside from if we take out be our guest, has hit like kind of a plateau. There were so many options back, you know, in days gone by, where you could go and sit down and have a really great meal. And you know, when I say a show, I don't mean that the show was sort of this fifteen. Like it was like a forty-five minute right. to an hour-long thing, and it, and it it evolved. Right, it became the. Diamond Horseshoe Saloon and Medicine Show for a while, and they had the Traveling Troubadour and Wildcat Kate, Dr. Billia later, and eventually it closed in about 2003 or so, and it was Goofy's Country Dance and Jamboree, and then it was a a character meet and greet, and now I still believe that they do some quick service lunchtime Food normally open when it, it's it's you know holiday season and summertime right. when it's really crowded. Yeah, it, it hits those peak hours, so you can still go in and look around and and see the gorgeous architecture, see the gorgeous design, um, and you know you can almost if you listen real closely to the player piano, you can kind of <laughs> hear the old show. So all right, let's let's move farther down, uh, forward in time, and and farther through to Adventureland. To listen, when you hear me talk about some of my favorite hamburgers in Walt Disney World, you know I will in, invariably go to Pecos Bill. But next to Pecos Bill uh, was something, that, and the building is still the the blue facade is still there. But at one point, that was known as the Mile Long Bar. Yes, 
And you had our good friends from the Country Bear Jamboree, Max, Melvin, and Buff, coming out to talk to guests as they were leaving the show. And you had this great bar that had mirrors on on you know both sides that made it look like it was a mile long. Uh, and it was Pepsi and Frito-Lay, if I'm correct. Right. Wanting to uh, – and they had you know Frito Pie and that was where you could get all your Pepsi and, and uh, Frito products, especially Pepsi if you were not a fan of Coke. Yeah, and that's one of the – there's a lot of interesting things to me about the mile-long bar, right? So you yeah. came out of – you exited from Country Bear the same way you do now. And as you exit Country Bear, you look up and there's Melvin, Max, and Buff's heads. And you turn around and where they're – Backside should be are, are three more of their heads, but they spoke. You know, they spoke and they kind of interacted with guests. It was sort of like a mini show, the same way as you walked out. But the cool thing too was you got a little bit of some Mexican style food. They had mm. some churros and and some other like I think they had like tacos and burritos and things like that. But the the, the fascinating thing to me was that at one time you could actually get both Pepsi Cola and Coca Cola products inside Walt Disney World until Coke at one point just sort of put a complete and utter stop to that. Right. It's blasphemy these days to say you want both of them in the park. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it was. It was, one of the, it was one of those really rare. It was very small, and now it's become part of the um, service area for Pecos Bill. But it was one of those great little just you know hole-in-the-wall kind of places that – that really added to the experience, especially if you were coming out of Country Bears and you were being told to move it along by, you know, a giant moose head. <laughs> and that closed in uh, the late 90s. I'm going to say like 1998, mm. 1999, um, somewhere as well. And again, I think we're going to continue on with our feelings of ridiculous sentiment and nostalgia because when I think of Frontierland, I think of the Diamond Horseshoe, I think of the Mile Long Bar, and depending on where you want to put this on the map in the land, I also think about uh, Poor Sweet Aunt Polly. I was hoping we talked about it. I was gonna, <laughs> if we missed it, I was coming back to it. Oh, Aunt Polly's Dockside Diner. And it was, it was this, you know, it's still there. You can still sit on the, on the rocking chairs. Um, you know, once upon a time it served you know, cold fried chicken and cold sandwiches and potato salad. And you could, have a, you could basically have a picnic on the island and you could just sit there and watch the, the boats go by, you, you know, whether they were the kill boats or canoes or, you know, the big steamboat. You could watch the Haunted Mansion. You could watch Thunder Mountain. And it was just – it was a great spot to grab a bite to eat or maybe an ice cream cone and just let everything go for a few minutes. And it was never crowded, I think, because people didn't realize where it's like, oh, I don't want to get on the raft, I don't want to cross, I'm going to walk over there. And the the little porch area is still there, and there, you can often – like I've actually gone there – when I was writing the audio tours, I actually mm -hmm. worked there a lot because I was able to sort of look out over Liberty Square and Frontierland, get a lot of the ambiance and, and sort of uh, you know immersion in the place as I was writing. But there yeah. was never anybody there, and it's covered and it's cool – and you can still see where the snack stand used to be. Now mm -hmm. there's just uh, a couple of, and I don't know if even this, I haven't been there in a long time. I don't know if the soda machines and the Yeah, are the vending machines are still there, yeah. Because um, I think even right before it closed, they weren't serving like hot food, but you could get like those Smuckers uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches right. for a while. Um, but yeah, poor. Yeah, this was this is one of those places, and, and I, I kind of did the same thing when I whenever I come down for research. If I need a few minutes just to compile some notes or look back at some stuff I've done, I, I do. I go out. That's one of the spots I'll go to and sit and just 
you know, yeah, take in, you know, the atmosphere, take in those moments and then just write and, and scribble some notes down so that I have something to resort, you know, to look back at when I get back home. Um, but let's just be honest. Tom's Tom Island is near and dear to my heart. Yeah. It's again, it's the, uh, as I said at the beginning, it's sort of the geeky nostalgics, uh, in both of us. Liberty Square hasn't really changed very much in terms of dining. And you're like, oh, well, Liberty Square dining locations, there's only Columbia Harbor House. There actually wasn't. There was actually another very small little snack stand. It was called the Fife and Drum. And for Ryan, for years, I used to walk by this building and go, God, like, what was there? I couldn't figure it out. Nobody knew. Cast members were like, dude, just go ride the rides. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> But if you're walking past the Liberty Tree, uh, it's sort of in between the Liberty Tree and, um, like, towards I was going to call it the um, the Old World Antique Shop. But if you're walking towards the the Christmas Shop, the Christmas shop. Mm-hmm. right? But go to the right instead to where the Princess Tiana meet and greet, and I, I say unfortunately the smoking area still is. There is a a small square. Um, shingled building there, which used to be the Fife and Drum snack bar, and it was just another little place because there's there, other than Sleepy Hollow refreshments, there wasn't really any other place. Now there's some carts outside to get like just a quick grab and go snack. Right, and I can remember when we found this building for a while a while back, and we were on one of our you know torturing our friends nights of <laughs> look at this and look at and we were like we neither one we sat there for at least twenty minutes going what was this building this was something what was this building right right. And then once you figure it out, we like we you know we, we rejoice and we hug it out, and our wives are like, really, like that's what you care about is the building. So, um, all right, let's move over to Fantasyland. I'm going to let you take Gurgi because I just know that you you know you embrace Gurgi and you. Do I do love Gurgi. I I don't know if it was because that's my my best memory of what was in that spot, but it's where Friars Nook was now, and it was at one time in the Lancers Inn. Lumiere's Kitchen, Gurgi's Munchies and Crunchies, which that's just a fun phrase to say. Um, but it's always been like little snacks and like having chicken nuggets and meals on the go for kids or something like that. But that is uh, one of the you know cornerstones of uh, extinct dining in Fantasyland. And, and I always dug this too. And and I liked when it was the Village Fry Shop. Um, mm-hmm. And then now as the Friars Nook, they've got some some unique items like they've got the different types of like they have like pot roast mac and cheese and right. uh blue cheese hamburger mac and cheese which i dig because that little place always had uh, something that you couldn't find elsewhere so at one point yeah. it was the only place that you could find pizza in the parks and back when it was i think when it was gurgis and it maybe it was known when it was lumiere's kitchen you used to get um, grilled cheese sandwiches or I think just chicken nuggets, but you got sort of a collectible cardboard box. So yeah. it's like going to get the Happy Meal, but you get like this cool box that would potentially be different every time you went. It was, yeah, and that was that was during Gurgi's run. That was like in that you know eighties, early nineties kind of time frame, and you would you would get this little kind of it was and it had usually like a little you know PVC plastic figure inside, and it was it was something cool to take away with you know basically a free souvenir for buying the meal. So it was it was just like a Happy Meal, but Disney style. Yeah, and so there were other places, not sit down, but but quick grab and go places. Obviously, when New Fantasy Land changed years ago, we lost things like the tournament tent that had the slushies and snacks and, right. and the, the covered seating area. But if you walk by Peter Pan's flight, mm-hmm. and it, which 
Well, now it's the old location of the <laughs> TikTok Croc, you know, Fast Pass area. Right. That was at one point known as uh, the Troubadour Tavern and then Hooks Tavern, unless I'm getting those those backwards. But the cool thing about the Troubadour – oh, no, sorry, wait. It was Troubadour first and then Hooks Tavern. Yes. Right, right. So the cool thing about this was it was sponsored by Welch's, the, the grape juice people. So you can get juice bars and grape juice. But this – and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. This is the place or one of the places that you could get as a kid if you bought apple juice – it came in a little plastic a apple. Plastic if you came apple. in, right? If you came, bought grape juice, it came in a little plastic bunch of grapes. Yeah, there were there were like two locations, two or three locations where you could get that in the park. But this was one of them. Uh, you could get your frozen ice cream. You could, but the juice is what you wanted because that was you know you had you were drinking grapes out of grapes. <laughs> right. And and you know those are one. I don't know why because I know it's so ridiculous. But this is one of my holy grails of collectibles because I can't. Everybody sort of remembers it. But nobody kept it. Like, who's going to keep the little plastic apple thing 40 years later? Just like that. That And do you remember when the, I'm going way off on a tangent. But do you remember when you used to put some change in on Main Street USA and you could make a little wax figure? The yep. little wax Mickeys and Goofies and Donalds and things. I can't seem to find yep. those either. I can't find mine either. No, I had them like because you know, they also had them in like science museums and they, they were everywhere. It seems like for a while, for a long time, and now they've gone away. And I can't seem to figure out where I put all of mine as a child. My parents probably melted them down for something. <laughs> right. Again, at some point they probably got hot and they melted, and we or our parents threw them away. That those two things and a, and one of the custom perfume bottles from Madame mm-hmm. uh, Lafitte's Perfumerie in Liberty Square. That that still too is is one of my yeah. holy grails of collectibles. Yeah, there's a, I have I have a couple of holy grails. I actually, you know, and we'll get to it later. But I actually found one of my holy grails when I was moving recently. So really, oh, yes. See, I like the tease. Uh, all right, let's move over into uh, Tomorrowland. Unless I'm unless I'm forgetting something else. And there was little things like the round table and and, and right. Land, but- the only other thing is you know they changed you know King Stefan's banquet hall to Cinderella's royal table because why would Sleeping Beauty's dad have a restaurant in Cinderella's castle? Right. Right. I understand they wanted to make it sound like it was regal, but at some point but, wasn't someone to go, wait a minute, that's not her dad. Why that doesn't she, why? go there. <laughs> right. So that's about that's about all the thing I'm missing in Fantasyland. Yeah. So but in Tomorrowland, um, you know, again we I think we already touched on the, the noodle station-ish uh, restaurant. But where Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe sits now, um, in that same location, and this changed back in the mid-90s, maybe 94, 95-ish. Yeah. That was the original Tomorrowland Terrace restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I got what they were trying to do here, right? They were trying to make it seem like it was a very futuristic restaurant. So everything had these funky names like the Orbit Burger and the Moon Burger and the Space Dog and the Gemini Burger and all those kinds of things. And they were very inexpensive. Like it was less than a dollar for a hamburger. But for a short period of time, and again, I would love to find pictures of this, and maybe it was the heat and humidity that's getting to me, so correct me if I'm wrong, to make it seem more futuristic... Like the ketchup was purple and the mustard mm-hmm. was green to make it seem like you were getting this funky, futuristic, yet oddly colored hamburger. Right. Everything in the future was going to be a neon colored <laughs> something. And how come we're not – aren't we all supposed to be wearing uh, gray spandex at this point? Like Aaron Gray I, and, and Buck Rogers? I believe so, yeah. That, that was still back in that day. I think I, – I even remember somebody with like a plastic helmet at some point. I don't know, yeah. It, it could be. And it's hard to find pictures – 
of yeah. some of those things because in the seventies nobody was taking pictures of their food on their smartphone. No, so. and nobody really wanted. And, and, and if they, they were in those suits, nobody wanted to be remembered that they had to wear those suits. Right, because you were buying your film like at the GAF Camera Center, yeah. and your little thing only had like eighteen shots. So you're gonna make those things last. You were not gonna waste it on the Gemini Burger. No, you were going to wait until you got to those photo spots and you were going to take your picture in front of that because it was a great backdrop. You weren't, you weren't interested in grape you know, or purple-colored ketchup. No, it's only like a random, you know, obscure picture that you might find it in the background. You know, everyone yeah. else is looking like, oh, look at little Johnny in his bad 70s clothes. We're like, oh, my God, it's a Troubadour Tavern in the background. Right. Look at that trash can. <laughs> look at that trash can. <laughs> All right, so let's go over to... Um, Rocket Tower Plaza, and I'm using air quotes as if you can see me, and the lunching pad, because when the lunching pad opened uh, in the 70s, and remember, it didn't open with the rest of Tomorrowland, because Tomorrowland was a barren wasteland in, in <laughs> October of 1971, but it not only, it served like healthy foods, like they had tuna sandwiches with alfalfa sprouts and organic bread and, and honey bread and vegetable salads, like I would now that I'm trying to, you know, be careful what I eat. I'd love to see those things again because they had like, you know, frozen yogurts and coconut macaroons and all because it was sponsored by uh, Sun Giant, like the, the, mm -hmm. the Raisin People. Mm -hmm. But it later featured something that I alluded to at the beginning, which was the. <laughs> Is that the oh, I missed the handwiches uh, sound? Is that the. That was the, the, that was the drum roll. I thought that was. But yes, it is the. I know. I can't wait. I made a list of where sandwiches used to be available. So, guys, so so hit the sandwich thing because I think a lot of people are going. What in God's so, name is a sandwich? So you know, and we've and we've been lucky. They're kind of making a comeback in the recent years. But the sandwiches were you know basically a cone shaped piece of bread that they would stuff all your your good goodies into for the sandwich, whether it was ham and cheese or some kind of vegetable pattern or tuna salad or. Texas style barbecue and they would shove it in and you had basically one hand with the sandwich that you could eat it on the go and your other hand free for chasing your child or taking pictures <laughs> of your handwich or whatever you wanted to do. Yeah, so where else do you remember where else in Magic Kingdom you could get it other than the uh, the lunching pad? I couldn't come up with any place in the Magic Kingdom that I could remember or that I could find. I you know, I do know that, you know, the farmers market over at Epcot had them. Mm. Um but I can't find I couldn't find any place else in the Magic Kingdom that actually served them that this was the only which makes sense. It's the futuristic it's the future of food, effectively <laughs> at that point. So that was that makes sense where where we found it at the lunching pad. And again, I, you try and find a picture of a handwich, and you can't. And and I and I agree with you. Like I'm a, I like finger foods. I like picking my food up. You know of my deep love and affinity for the cozy cone motel out in Disneyland uh -huh. and food in a cone. Uh, I still think it's the future of just <laughs> like my flying car. Um, and I would love to see those things come back. And we see, you know, every now and then, like on the Disney Parks blog, somebody like Gary or one of these guys might yeah. mention a handwich. So I think there's a couple of guys in there pulling for the return of the handwich. I think, it's, yeah, Downtown Disney had a couple last year that I saw for a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, so you, you see it every so often, like they're testing the waters, like they're thinking, well, maybe we could bring this back. And I'm sure some people are going, dude, what's the big deal? You eat any sandwich with your hands. What? Why is this different? But it was just the uh, the unique sort of kitschy quality of the ham, which is sort of like a rolled up pita with just right. lots of good food stuffed in it. So, um, all right. So, are we missing anything? Did we miss anything in Magic Kingdom? 
I, I'm sure we've missed something somewhere, but, but we've hit we've hit the, the high notes. Right. And I want people, if we missed your favorite, please tell us what it is. But let's move over to Epcot Center. And when you think Epcot, an extinct restaurant, where did your mind go first? Farmer's Market. Okay. I, 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 I'm a kid of the land when it comes to Epcot. Um, and this was, you know, back from the, when the park opened to like 93 or somewhere there's about that. It was, you know, a set of stalls and they had like, you know, the bread and the soup stall and they had the meat stall. And you basically went and picked up the different items you wanted to compile for your meal. Um, and then, of course, the aesthetics of it were great. You, you had that open courtyard like you have now for dining. But there was this great fountain that just poured water. You know, it had all these geometric shapes and these very natural kind of shapes to it. And then the rooster on the sign above the farmer's market sign that would every hour or so or every half hour would come out of his little barn, stick his head out and, you know, cock-a-doodle-doo and tell you that, you know, the time had changed. So um, the farmer's market was definitely like the first place I thought of when I thought of Epcot. And it, it very much had, I don't know how to describe it. It had a Disney feel to it. And what I mean by that is this, is that when Epcot Center opened, it was meant to be very different than Magic Kingdom. It, was, it had to sort of right. remove itself from the whimsy. It was more about future and technology and, and edutainment. But there was something about the theming of those mm-hmm. little, you call them stalls, but it gives me a bad impression. Those little um, areas inside there. And look, Sunshine Seasons still has that, right? I think it's one of the best places to go yeah. to get a wide variety but you went to the thing that looked like a barn in order to get you right. know, the fried chicken or barbecue. Yeah, it was just one with like a little, like a little. I, I want to call them shacks, but they they look like little houses, almost kind yeah. of things, like little barns, little little. You know, they had like windows on one side, and it was just yeah, like had shingle, had wood shingles, and and like the the wood siding going up. The side. Yeah, they had a, it had a very distinct feel to it. It did. They were very well themed. Like it was actually a well themed yeah. area, and. As you looked at it, you know, you sort of had to go. It's almost like, I don't want to say the cozy cone because they're all cones, but going to each different station would give you a different food. I remember the the Nestle Toll House was all the way, I think, on the left. And mm-hmm. kids can go and be like chef for the day and make cookies. Make cookies, or, right. Yeah. Decorate their own cookies. And, yeah. Uh, I actually went. Uh, I didn't go there first. I went to the Odyssey. I went to the Odyssey restaurant. Again, that gateway restaurant in between World Showcase and Future World that sits on, and I'm using air quotes again, on the lake, which was basically just a giant sinkhole that they had to fill in. Which is, to do, right. Yeah, which is actually why it's there. Um, you know, as, as legend goes, they actually tried sinking pilings into it, and I think that they are still sinking. So the, uh, <laughs> the necessity for a lake was born. But the Odyssey restaurant had that futuristic-ish early 80s feel to it. It was... You know, the hamburgers and hot dogs, but it was the Odyssey Burger and the Adventurer Burger and the Voyager Hot Dog and the Discovery Salad. So it was the, it was relatively the same types of food, but like the Tomorrowland Terrace with the funky names, just not the discolored food, you know, <laughs> sauces and, and condiments. Yeah. Um, that lasted till like the mid-90s. And I think, Ryan, a lot of people go, why don't they do something with it? You know, what do we do with the right. Odyssey restaurant? It's used very well sometimes for mm-hmm. special events um, and to, you can, you know, corporate events to rent it out. But I still think that there is a, a place for something inside the Odyssey restaurant. I could almost imagine something like the um, the Farmer's Market Food Court mm-hmm. where maybe it's a one-stop shop to get little samples from uh, from 
maybe nations that aren't even represented in there's the an idea. Case. So there's the India kiosk, there's the Egypt kiosk, there's the Greek right. kiosk. And I know it sounds like food and wine festival, but it's inside an air conditioned and it's a place to sit down. There's also a stage in there. So they used to put on like right. little shows and things little like that. Little character shows. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a great venue. And I think, I don't know if the question is, it's just being used for the corporate events and that's what they need it for, or they don't know what to do with it. I, and, I, and I would love again to ask you and the people listening, what you would do with the Odyssey restaurant if you had unlimited budget and unlimited Imagineers at your disposal. Yeah, because you're, you're right. It was, it was one of these great venues, and I always said, well, it's too far out of the way, but it really – it's still not you – know, it doesn't open today, but people still use that walkway. Uh, if I had my druthers, I would probably go – I like the idea of, of, of a sample thing and maybe even have it where you could sample small bites – from even maybe the countries that are still that are currently there, right. so you can know. So we could say, oh, I, I really like. This. I want to make my, you know, ADR for you know, the Le Cellier, Which good luck with that. But <laughs> or you know, or something you know, or, or, or any of the other restaurants around the, around the you know, or maybe some of the newer restaurants. Give them a place to t- taste a new new bite because I can. I can remember going in there and the grilled chicken sandwich being one of my favorite things to eat. And the top, maybe maybe it was more the toppings bar was my favorite thing to eat because they had one of the best toppings bars that I think anywhere in Disney World at, at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'd love to I'd love to see it come back and find new life in some capacity. Yeah, and I, and I think that there's potential for that space, um, and who knows what they might do with it. But yeah, if you're listening and you have an idea for what you would do with the Odyssey Restaurant. Come to this week's show notes, go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, go to the comment section, leave it there, or go to facebook.com slash Radio. comment there as well. And I know Ryan and I will definitely keep up on this and check it out. Or you can also tweet us at Lou Mangiello and at MainSTGazette. Um, something else, oh, so by the way, speaking of La Cellier and the inability to get mm-hmm. your table, do you remember when La Cellier also used to be a cafeteria? Just like yes. Crystal Palace. Yeah, like, it was. Way back it was. When. That was... Um, God, I think it's probably it's been fifteen or so years. I mean, I think it probably was still in the late nineties when it. Yeah, changed. it stuck around for quite a while, and I can I can remember going and telling my dad that we I was making reservations for La Cellier, and he was like the the cafe yeah the cafeteria place like and, and you know they changed it to La Cellier Steakhouse they had a steakhouse on the end and the menu changed and the rest is history. Yeah. So and the other um the other place too that I think is forgotten because the pavilion itself other than during special events is relatively forgotten right. is the um, um, pure, pure and simple, simple. Pure and simple. Yeah. over at Wonder- see I, I had like I'm like I know what uh, <laughs> over at Wonders and Life Pavilion which and now is more than ever a place like this would do so well because it was meant to be healthy right it was guilt free yeah. goodies so it was like oat bran waffles and yogurt and smoothies and fruit juices and chicken wraps and salads like it was meant to be part of this idea of this life and health pavilion that yeah it was and it was it was like a little island that came out and had the neon lights and you know it was very it was very 80s in its design but it was it, it was meant to give you a healthier option than the hamburgers the chicken nuggets the hot dogs the, and it had just it had an you know it wasn't like generic yogurt it wasn't you know you weren't getting something that was that they had pulled off a grocery store shelf. Somebody had taken some real time and effort and made some really interesting, healthy options. And that pavilion too. And I think that we, we've we actually done uh, a Wayback Machine about that. I'll have to link to it in the show notes. But if you go to www.com and click on and search for Wonders of Life, 
way back. We did an entire show about that pavilion. We sort of walked you through it and its, its genesis and its history yeah. and changes. Um, but you say sort of the, these healthy things that, you know, everything was relatively healthy. In stark contrast to something like the Sunrise Terrace, which was um, later the, the Pasta Piazza, which is where the character greeting area is now. Because this was basically fried food central, like fried fish, fried shrimp, fried chicken, fried salads, fried desserts, <laughs> like everything in there was uh, thrown on pasta and a pizza. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but this was right. So it was in that um, the the interventions area there, but was a, another future world dining option. Yeah, and I don't have a. I don't know if it was. I didn't go there that often. I don't have a lot of memories of this place, you know. And and I do remember a little bit more when it changed to, you know, when it changed to the pizza and the pasta. Um, but it, yeah, it was it was one of the things that it was right across the courtyard, effectively from, um, you know, the uh, electric umbrella, uh, which was Stargate. But, originally, which was Stargate. Stargate yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, so that you had those two options right there, but they, but it was, it was a lot of very fried, very, you know, the future was fried is basically what, the, what you were being told. Right. Fried flying cars and, you know, white spandex <laughs> jumpsuits was what the future Ugh. looked like. But, and I think that's what it was. It was just meant to, you know, those were sort of easy places to grab something, you know, typical theme park food. And while yeah. we sort of... You lament that they're gone. I, I like that the trend to where it's going now, which is different food items elsewhere, healthy choices mm. elsewhere. So I don't think anybody's necessarily crying that Pasta Piazza um, is gone, other than maybe you know they missed having the pasta and the pizza. Right. Um, so I'm trying to think. I, you know, nothing else really in, other than maybe just mentioning Ice Station Cool because I just missed the little. <laughs> The, the, the cool entranceway the cool and the, the yeah. caveman. Like, I want to know what Imagineer's house has the caveman sitting in it. It's in someone's house, I'm sure. Like, someone's garage. Like, right. man, their, their man cave has a caveman. <laughs> is, it's probably what's happened somewhere. But, in, you know, in places like World Showcase, we've had additions of restaurants, but I don't think there's a lot that really has gone other than just sort of changing of names. Yeah, you know, I, I was trying to rack my brain. If it's changing of names, you know, the patisserie, you know, moved locations. Um, and some of their classics disappear, but otherwise, there's not a whole lot of of change that t- that that's come to World Showcase in the form of taking away restaurants. Yeah, and as we move over to the studios, the same thing as well. Like names, mm-hmm. which the Cafeteria of the Stars is now Hollywood and Vine. The right. Studio Pizzeria is now Mama Melrose's. Although I wish it still would have become the Great Gonzo's Pandemonium Pizza Parlor. Like that's you know that's still yeah it's still on our list. It's it's lost it's lost Walt Disney World but not extinct Walt Disney World. But when I think of the studios, yes, there was a soundstage restaurant which mm-hmm. I thought was a, a really neat, incredibly well themed. Like people talk about how cool and the the big chandeliers of places like uh, the Be Our Guest Restaurant. Right. The, um, the soundstage restaurant over the Disney and, and Studios was the same way. It was meant to be sort of this um, themed commissary type th- feel. But I remember like these yeah. big just, like chandeliers. And I have to tie it in, man, because I think Studios, I think Catwalk Bar and that view yep. looking down on yeah. the soundstage. Oh, absolutely. That whole that whole area had had a whole lot of, you know, opportunity for it. And it had these big chandeliers because it was. Originally, the soundstage was originally supposed to be, you know, the rap party for the 1988 movie Big Business, you know, which was the Bette Midler, Lily Tomlin comedy, and so it was it was like this big posh, you know, New York hotel 
that had like the, yeah the big chandeliers, the really great tile work. But then you could you could go up to the catwalk, have a drink, and look down on all of this. And the catwalk, and we've talked about this yes. at length. You know, yeah. you can still f- see the stairs to get up there, but but please don't please try don't, and yeah. get uh, right. <laughs> um, but what was cool about it was it was very like eclectic. It had all these different types of. Uh, it almost looked like um, they had taken movie prop like chandeliers and lighting fixtures and just hung them up there and then sort of lit them up. But you could get snacks. But I remember they had TVs there. So if you were in the studios and the Giants happened to be playing, like whether it be the football or baseball Giants, right. you could go up and watch sports inside yeah. the park, which I'm not saying I, I like that idea or not, but it what it was one of the things that made that place unique. Definitely. It was. It, it gave you a completely different vibe that that really I don't know that we've seen in a park before or since. Um, but it, it gave you that, that a different, unique option that you were going to remember after you left. Yeah, and obviously when uh, Bear and the Big Blue House came in in, I guess, God, late 98, mm-hmm. early 99, it, w- it was there for a while. And then now you can't even, you know, you can't obviously see it or get to it because obviously you couldn't have people drinking and eating up there while, you know, Bear and while Luna. your toddlers and, are, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> we're, uh, we're doing their thing below. But because from what I understand, it sat up there, like they just sort of shut the doors and left it for a long time and then they use it for storage. And nobody can seem to, to know what it looks like right now. Like, are the things still there? Did they gut it? Did they clean it out? What What is that space being used for? But... Uh, I unfortunately don't think anything like that catwalk bar, the catwalk bar, what it was, will ever come back. No, I I agree. I think there's, you know, I I think part of it is the liability of oh, you know, if somebody gets a little too tipsy, they go over the railing. <laughs> uh, I think I think the lawyers have had their say on that one, and and we're probably not going to see it again. Yeah, but you know, even the soundstage too, how yeah. that theme changed, right? At one point, it would be you know themed after Pocahontas or after Aladdin. So right. when you came back potentially years later. It would be the same space, but would have a different theme to it. And that obviously we know that's where the camels from uh, mm-hmm. Magic Carpets of Aladdin originally came from after they were used in the Aladdin parade. Right, right. And, and you did. You had these, you know, you always knew. It's almost like the animation gallery or the back lot tour, you know. You never knew what different piece was going to be in there, what new theme you were going to discover when you went in. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to quickly go from the parks to um, – I'm not going to hit all the resorts, but before we get to – Places like the Polynesian and the Contemporary, because it's the nostalgic, we're thinking way back. Um, Downtown Disney, now Mm -hmm. that's a place that there are a ton of restaurants that have come and gone or changed themes or or, or changed names. Uh, When I thought about Downtown Disney and places that were gone, and again, we've done a DSI on places like the Empress Lily Riverboat, which Fulton's is still there but had a very different feel, a very different vibe, very different theme to it. And I'll try to remember to uh, link to that in the show notes too, where you can just search for Empress Lily if you come to the site. But when you think about places that are extinct, for some reason, the first thing that came to my mind was Captain Jack's. It mm-hmm. originally was the it was an oyster bar, and that's why I remember it because my dad was, it goes back to my dad, my dad was an oyster go- guy, and that's where you could go, sit out on this octagonal-shaped building and look out over the water in almost 270 degrees or so and have fresh oysters. And then it became just Captain Jack's Restaurant like in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. And now it's really extinct because the b- building itself is gone. 
Right. Yeah, and I and you know, I have this vague memory. I was never I was never a seafood person. My sister was more, my dad was, and so I don't remember Cotton Jacks, but I do remember the building and thinking in, in, you know, that it was sunk down, it was right on the edge of the water and thinking, that's a really great space. Yeah. Yeah, and it was neat. And and later on and right before it closed uh, a, a few years ago, it wasn't my favorite restaurant on property because the menu that I had remembered of a lot of unique seafood offerings that you could get there, mm-hmm. an idea that you were really going to sort of this waterside seafood restaurant had changed. And the menu went from two sides to one side, and there was maybe five or six or seven max uh, options there that were relatively pedestrian. And what I understood right. later on was because there was no kitchen there. The food there was prepared in another building in downtown Disney and then brought there and sort of just you know heated and stuff there, but they were actually prepared mm-hmm. in a separate kitchen. So I understand why they tried to shoehorn a restaurant into what originally was just supposed to be an oyster bar. So I love the location, but the food at the very end was not the best on property. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and and I think it had gotten that, to that reputation, and that's probably one of the reasons why why it went the the way of the, all these other restaurants. Right, and certainly with with what Disney Springs is going to become, um, right. I think people won't be missing Captain Jack's. For no, I think I think they'll have their their plates full when yeah. when it opens. When and it so gets when you think of, when you think of downtown Disney, Disney Village Marketplace, call it what you want. What was the extinct restaurant, if any, that may have come to you first? I had one, and I can't even remember where the memory is because I have very vague memory. But it was Pluto's Doghouse, okay, which was just ate with a real simple hot dog kind of a stand. But I don't know if it was because it was Pluto tied with hot, you know Pluto serving other hot dogs and that kind of you know that jarring kind of a session that, you know piece there. But that was the place that I kind of remembered that, and then the Veranda Restaurant. Um, which was this, you know, it kind of had this upscale kind of feel to it with the Monte Cristos and the strawberry soup and chicken Parisian. And, you know, it was some place you could go and sit and have a very nice meal while you were walking. One of the many places you could do that around the marketplace. And that's where I thought you were going to go first. Um, <laughs> what was there? Because, well, I thought you were going to either go there because of the, um, uh, the Monte Cristo sandwiches, because I think Monte right. Cristo, and obviously we think of. Um, Disneyland. Right. But I thought you were also going to mention that Chef Mickey's was originally, yep. it later became the Village Restaurant, but originally Chef right. Mickey's was in what is currently downtown Disney. Yeah, and it, and it's really the same, I mean, it's the same Mickey that you have Chef Mickey's now at the Contemporary. You know, he had that, this chef with his bowl and he's mixing and um, it, had a, it actually had a really gorgeous space to it, you know, almost two floors with the lights coming in from the, the light, natural light coming in the second floor. Um, it was just it, it had a gorgeous feel to it. Yeah, and there was there was a lot of little places too. Yeah. Like like the Pluto's Doghouse, there was Goofy's Grill. There was a little deli that was there, which as a native New Jerseyan who has come down to Florida, it's hard to find a really good deli. Yeah. Um this was I think it was a Hormel deli, so it sort of had the corporate sponsorship but uh, behind it. But there was a little bite place, and there was an ice cream parlor and a bake shop. Again, this was supposed to be a Disney village. So for those people that were eventually going to be residents at the Disney village, which I think we've talked about in the past, Mm -hmm. this was going to be their little downtown Disney shopping and dining area. So you had places like the haberdashery and, you know, the the liquor store to go shopping and the little grocery store. But you had a deli. You had a little grill. You had the little bite. Uh, There was actually a pizzeria it was mm-hmm. Mini Mia's Pizzeria, mm-hmm. and it actually had deep dish pizza, which is something that is very hard to uh, 
to get here now. To find anywhere, right. Yeah. So and it, and it had the you know the Minnie Mouse and the sort of connection to the Disney character theme too. Like again, it was Donald had his ice cream place, Goofy had a place, Mickey had Chef Mickey's, and uh, you know Minnie had her thing, and Pluto had his doghouse. So the Fab Five each had their own dining locations in downtown Disney. Yeah, and, and that was one of those I think those made drives of how do we get kids to come down to the shopping district? Mm-hmm. How do we get kids? And you, you market it to them. You give them what they want, which is yeah, they want their Fab Five to to be able to see and eat. Yeah, and so do you remember at, at talking about getting kids down there? And I never saw it there, but I know that at one point um, when the movie premiered, Darth Vader could actually be found in downtown Disney. Right. And, and Luke Skywalker, too. I, I never saw it myself, but I, but going back, I've kind of found things and I've seen, yeah, I've seen some of these photos and I'm like, well, like there's your Star Wars weekend starting right there. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so I think we would be remiss not to mention we're talking about extinct downtown Disney. I think we we need to mention some some of these things are not necessarily extinct from the 70s and 80s, but even from the 2014s. Mm-hmm with Pollo Campero and Baby Cakes going oh, by yeah. the wayside. And the Burger Place, which was not there very long. No. Pollo Campero, I dug because it wasn't just fried chicken, but they had really good sort of grilled spicy chicken, some unique food items there, uh, which were sort of on the healthier side. And Baby Cakes really kind of made its mark because it was the first, you know, vegan, gluten-free location there and I and I knew Emily from Baby Cakes and I met her years before yeah. when she was explaining to me what vegan and gluten free was because I didn't even I hadn't even heard about it you know five years earlier and she helped make that happen like she followed the dream of getting that place that she worked at in New York City into Walt Disney World and, and Baby Cakes you can still find in some of the, the, the grab and go locations but the Baby Cakes location itself closed to make way for what is coming in Disney Springs Right, and they had the, the window where you got to watch them make the cupcakes and bake all these things. And I, I remember telling my wife when it closed, and I, I think it's the only time she'd ever cl- cried at something closing at Disney World. Um, but she loved baby cakes, and and so it's you know so it's still it's still around. It's just not quite the same, but um, definitely definitely something that that that's missed right now in that part in that area. Yeah, they had like frosting shooters, and yeah. they had this amazing like French toast and maple thing cupcake um mm-hmm. and the, i mean and they were awesome like you didn't have to go there just because you needed or wanted to eat vegan or gluten-free like some of the stuff was really really good too yeah and i kidded myself that i was eating healthy because it was vegan and gluten-free <laughs> which, like yeah it's, you know it's, it's it's the sugar let's not talk about the sugar let's just talk about right. the just, again i can justify anything uh all right let's quickly go and, and again we're not going to hit all 30 resorts but let's go back to the original three right yeah. because that's where we spent so much. That look. That's where. You, if you weren't staying at the Days Inn, you know, a few miles off property, you were staying at the Contemporary Polynesian or Fort Wilderness. And we've talked in the past about spending countless hours in the Fiesta Fun and quarters in yep. the Fiesta Fun Center and places like the Top of the World Lounge and the Top of the World Supper Club, where quote unquote stars of the time like Carol Lawrence and Phyllis Diller and Mel Torme would actually go. And perform, and I think when you think of places like the Contemporary, that's where my mind went. My mind went downstairs to the Fiesta Fun Center and the little, yep. you know, snacks that you can get Snack there, bar. yeah, and all the way up top to the top of the world. When you had to dress for dinner, dinner, you had to dress for dinner because it was an entertainment show. 
Yeah, they required jackets. You know, it was Broadway at the top was what it was called, and they required men to have their their jackets. Um, you know, women obviously in the, you know in their dresses, and um, they also served Sunday brunch up there. But it was it was a very you know very very dressed to the nines kind of an affair. Yeah, and and that was really that was the signature place mm-hmm. to eat in Walt Disney World, and that why it was very much at the top of the world, and you could see you know uh, fireworks and stuff there, and it changed obviously to become California Grill, which I love for low so many reasons. <laughs> but, we could spend a whole show talking about why we love California Grill. Yeah, and it's going to probably involve sushi and pork nigiri and. Desserts think, and, and amazing. I, just, I think when I'm down, we need to do a live review next time I'm there. I, you know, that's that's probably how we need to do that. You're on, buddy. Just give <laughs> us a table in the corner and let us sit for right. six. And I have eaten there for six hours before. Oh, Let's, easy. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of the changes really took place on the Grand Canyon concourse mm-hmm. because restaurants that were there, they changed, they morphed, they sort of they put up walls, they took down walls. So I remember the Concourse Steakhouse was really one of the things I think that people missed most. It's now the Contempo Cafe, which actually references what the the resort was going to be called, the Contempo Bay Resort. But the Steakhouse was, again, it wasn't quite top of the world, but that's where you went for the really good steak on property. Yeah, it was. It was the place up until I believe, you know, up until probably Yachtsman opened. Um, it was the place to get your steak on property. It was, you know, it. You're, you're having the monorails come by. It seemed like a very, it seemed like a very nice dinner for anybody who was on vacation. Like that was going to be your meal of the week. Right. And there was other places that were in that area that changed. There was the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the pueblo, the pueblo room, mm-hmm. and the uh, terrace. Well, it's sort of the Terrace Cafe or the Terrace Buffeteria. Again, change lounge. And there was like the Grand Canyon Lounge. There was the Contemporary Cafe. There was the uh, the Monorail Club Car, which is now Outer yeah, Rim. Outer Rim. Was, mm-hmm. that, was, was the lounge. Was originally sort of the, the, the lounge that you went to before you went to the Concourse Steakhouse or after, depending on how you spent your night. Mom and Dad would go to the, uh, to the Monorail Club Car. The kids would go downstairs to the Fiesta Fun Center. Right. And, we, and, and you know, five hours later, we'd meet all back up and... <laughs> Right. Go to bed because it was safe. Because where were you going to go? Like yeah. my parents trusted. Like there's nowhere you can go. It's completely safe. When you run out of quarters or energy, just come back up to the room. So right, um, a couple of little places here and there too. There was the um, the Coconino Cove um, was in there too, and I'm not exactly sure where that was. I'm not sure if that was outside or not because I don't think it was because I know the Dock Inn was outside, and there was also one other. I thought there was another restaurant in there too another little snack location too but I, I, they change so often and they yeah. change so much that name the names would cha- the names were changed to protect the innocent and the hungry um <laughs> what about over at the polynesian disney's polynesian village resort which name i we are so happy is coming back yes. when you think polynesian where do you think I don't know if it was because it was next to the arcade and the Neverland Club, <laughs> uh, but the Tangaroa Terrace mm-hmm. is, for whatever, is what jumps into my mind and just being you know, a different kind of thing. You weren't in the ceremonial house, so it, it had a different feel to it. You were more laid back. You could see it from you know, the tiki on the side of the building. It has the goofy face, and he's still there. Um, that's, that's where I would think of when I first thought of the Polynesian. And, you know, it's funny because that's where the Neverland Club, which is now Club Disney, is, right. and Moana Mickey's was there, too. And the space is still there, and I think yeah. that you were able to use it for like corporate functions. And I think they opened it temporarily when some you know refurbishments were going on. 
Right. And there's construction going on there now. And I wonder if that is going to open up again because, you know, we sort of don't know all the details about what Disney's Polynesian Village Resort Villas and Hotel is going to be. But you wonder if the, uh, you know, that little snack aisle or the terrace is potentially going to open up again. One can only hope. I mean, you know, the, the, the options of the Polynesian have always been great and it, the more the merrier, really. So I'm going to mention this place next because the first time I mentioned it, I said the name wrong and I was quickly, quickly correcting. Oh, I know exactly where you're going and I'm so happy you're the one that's going to say it first. It's not Captain Cook's. It's the Papiete Bay Veranda. It's not Papit Bay, which is what I said a long time ago. It's the Papiete Bay Veranda. That is where Ohana is now and they used to have like a little show there, like a little Polynesian review there, and they had Minnie's Menohune breakfast there. Different than the Luau. Like the Luau show that took pl- that still yeah. takes place outside was the same, but this was sort of an indoor show that you could have up there until the mid-90s when it became Ohana. Right, and they, they had the, you know, the character breakfast was, was Minnie and everyone all dressed in their, their you know, Polynesian finest and having a great meal. Um, you know, I know, I know our, our, our really wonderful friend Tony loved this, this breakfast breakfast. Um, but it, yeah, it was one of those places, it's still there, but it, but it had maybe a little bit of a different vibe. Yeah. And so you probably also may not remember that where Boutique is now, mm-hmm. that was all, also a restaurant too. That was the South Seas dining room. Right. It had a Polynesian buffet. Um, I, I think it was just for dinner. Um, but yeah, it was, it, they had that there as well. And, you know, the dining, the amount of dining has actually gone down at the Polynesian over the years. Yeah. And you wonder with the changes that are coming and the addition of the Disney vacation club resort and, and those awesome looking bungalows, which I think I need to stay yeah. in just to research. Uh, you wonder, Let me know. I'll come down. I'll help you with that research. You're such, I a, have, giver. You're such a good guy. I, Thank you so I, much. I, <laughs> but I wonder, and I think, and I hope that we'll see some additional, uh, dining locations as well. Yeah, that, that's my hope as well. And it, and it seems like they're heading that way, um, you know, trying to get people more back to the resorts and, and less away from, you know, going off property and finding something else someplace else. And I know we've talked about this on past shows, and I did an, an, a big article, too, which, again, I'll try and remember. Or just if you search on WDWRadio.com for Eastern Winds, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't a restaurant. It wasn't on – it wasn't in one of the buildings. In fact, it wasn't even on land. It was a Chinese junk. It was an old Chinese junk ship that was docked at the Polynesian that was used as a lounge. So you can go out and go on these little like evening cruises and have drinks and some snacks and things like that. And there's a whole great you know story and legend behind the the um, the ship and where it came from and where it was eventually right. sold to and, and how they eventually got it. But you want to talk about again? Let's sort of go back to the early you know Dick Nunes days and what the Polynesian was supposed to be and what it was supposed to look like, it was meant to be as though you were sitting at a resort somewhere off, you know, the, the Pacific coast somewhere. So you mm-hmm. would theoretically would be sitting at the Papiete Bay veranda, looking out over the water at the waves and the people surfing yep. the waves onto the shore and this beautiful, large Chinese junk, you know, moored at the, at the dock. Yeah. Yeah. Or, Actually, sailing in the waters because it, it had gone out for you know an, it, its evening excursion. Uh, it, it from there, even you know, even with the castle in the background, the contemporary in the background, you would have felt like you had just taken off and gone off to an island and and you know left Disney World far behind. And, and I wonder. And, and I look, I, I think 
you know, the Polynesian, when it opened 40-some-odd years ago, it very much embraced that, you know, kitschy, tiki mm-hmm. culture of the late 60s and 70s. Now in 2014 and going forward, it, it it's almost a nostalgic look as opposed to a modern yeah. Polynesian-type resort. So I am encouraged by what I've seen in terms of concept art and having been to Aulani and seeing what these Imagineers can do. Right. I, I like the direction it's going in terms of making it a much more, you know, bright, open, airy, embracing mm-hmm. this village feel, which is it's, it's supposed to have when right. Apologian eventually reopens. Yeah, it's going to, it's it's going to, I, you know, I, I've probably seen a lot of the same artwork and it, I think it's just going to knock everyone's socks off once it's, once it's back and it's going to, you know, redefine itself as the crown jewel of, of Walt Disney World. And so let's go from, you know, upscale dining at the Contemporary to fun, unique dining at the Polynesian to what I think, unless you have something else, sort of the last stop on our resort mm-hmm. loop here uh, over at Fort Wilderness. You're saying, well, all right, what, you know, obviously Hoopty Doo is there and Trails End is there. What could you possibly be thinking that's extinct at Fort Wilderness? But who can't remember Breakfast with Melvin the Moose? Melvin the Moose <laughs> Breakfast Show. Which, and Chip and Dale, the unofficial mascots of everything Fort Wilderness, apparently. <laughs> um, yeah, they did. It's, it's, this came out in 1986. Um, it was, it, you know, depending on when you're looking at it, it was either Melvin the Moose Breakfast Show or the Chippendale Country Morning Jamboree. Um, and this was this great show. It was hosted by Cindy Lou in Alabama and the professor on piano. And you had they, – they did this great introduction number – and you have Chip and Dale who are cooking your breakfast of, you know, chocolate chip biscuits and your bacon, your biscuits and gravy, hash browns. Um, and they introduce their host, who is Melvin the Moose from the Country Bear Jamboree. And, and he's sitting on a little framed, in a little framed picture, sitting right on the stage in Hoopty Doo. And he's carrying on and telling bad jokes and, uh, and, and everything. And this is actually where my lost piece of you know my treasure came from when i was digging through when i was moving i actually found it when the finale they actually gave guests kazoos you, i was you with, don't have a kazoo do you? i most certainly have a kazoo i didn't think it i thought i had lost it i have my kazoo with mick with you know davy crockett mickey on it and the yellow and red and i found it about three weeks ago and i was like yes oh. melvin the moose i have my i have my kazoo you've got to tweet that or post it or if you have it we'll, we'll link up to your picture of uh of the kazoo because i remember getting it and people like they would disney would not give out kazoos what is that insane man like, <laughs> <laughs> i do I, yeah, I tell you what when this airs i will tweet out a picture for everyone to see the the kazoo because i did i finally tracked my i couldn't believe it was still in the box i was like i'll be darned i still have this thing so that 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 was one of the you know that show for a character breakfast was one of the more fun breakfasts you could have on property. And the neat thing was was that it was like a hoopty do. You couldn't mm-hmm. just make reservations at eight forty five. No, there was like an eight o'clock show and a ten o'clock show or whatever the right. times were. You had to go for the seating and the show, like yeah. it, you know, much like Diamond Horseshoe. But they didn't have ten shows throughout the day. They had two. You had two, two. seatings for breakfast. Yeah, and it was, and it was, it would, you know, you'd, especially if you were staying at the campgrounds, you didn't know what was going on. You'd walk by Pioneer Hall on your way to the boat to go to the Magic Kingdom. You're like, why are all these people here? Mm-hmm. And they were there to see Melvin. And you know, again, think back to some of the things we're talking about. Even places like Empress Lily and the Polynesian, all the different types of character meals and character breakfast mm-hmm. that you had. 
I think this one, I'm happy we saved it for last. I think the, this was the truly unique one out of it because, and I say this in a good way, you need to make an effort to go to Fort Wilderness, right? You can't yes. just hop on the monorail and get there. You got to get the boat or you got to get the bus or get the golf cart or, or be staying right. there. But it was a nice payoff. Like, I think Fort Wilderness, when you get to, you know, Pioneer Hall and you get to there, there's a huge payoff. And it's one of those, yeah. again, we've talked about reasons to stay there, reasons to spend the day there. This would have been a really neat way to start your morning off with Melvin the Moose. It's totally kid-friendly. It's interactive. It's live. You know, that sort of down-home, stick-to-your-ribs, yeah. energy-for-the-day kind of breakfast. And look, the, you know, the Country Bears were a big deal when Magic Kingdom opened. Remember, that was the right. first ever attraction to open in Walt Disney World first and then be copied in Disneyland because it was that popular. Yeah, and at the time, you know, it, when we're looking at this, like, mid-'80s, you have, you know, they had the Christmas hoedown. They had the vacation hoedown. You know, they were, they were huge at this moment. And I think what happened was at this moment is the operative term because it yeah. was originally focusing on Melvin the Moose, and then everybody's like, Mid '80s, like Melvin, who? Then it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's go. Let's sort of play off the popularity of characters that are more recognizable. So it was Chip and Dale's jamboree, right? Oh, with Melvin the Moose, like right, as our right. special guest. And he was, and he was still kind of yeah, the, the special guest, the host kind of person. But it, you know, but it, it took that recognition of oh, I just saw this in Frontierland, or this is like a preview of oh, we're going to see this a little bit later. Yeah. So it, it was neat, and it didn't run. I mean, it, you know. It, had a relatively long run, but it, this is not one of the people uh, – you don't hear a lot of people going, oh, my God, I remember going to Melvin yeah. the Moose because I think it seemed like, oh, we only have a few days here at Walt Disney World. We can't spend our entire morning schlepping out over – you know, not that it's a schlep, yeah. but schlepping at the time. It seemed like a schlep out to Fort Wilderness. Or if you weren't staying there, you know, again, and still to this day, I think if you're not staying at certain resorts, you don't venture out of your own resort or right. uh, theme parks to go eat somewhere else. No, I, absolutely. You know, and they and Fort Wilderness did a lot to try to bring people in. Whether it was the Marshmallow Marsh or it was the campfire or Hoop to Do, yeah, they wanted people to come see it. But people are—they were very insular. They're like, well, you know, we have the Fiesta Fun Center, or you know, we have all these great things that we can do at our resort. And so they don't—they don't tend to explore outside of that zone. Um, and you know, and, and if anything, I know you and I have over the years prodded people. No, please go explore this place. See what there actually is to offer there. Because at Fort Wilderness, I mean, you could you could spend days there and not repeat the activities. Right, and we just actually did a show, uh, show mm -hmm. three sixty two, sort of everything you want to know about Fort Wilderness, and. You know, and look, if you think back to 1971, the early 70s, Walt Disney World was very much heralded as the vacation kingdom of the world. It's not the happiest place on earth. That's it. It was the vacation kingdom of the world. So the yeah. idea was you came here for a week not to do everything in the Magic Kingdom 10 times, but to spend time at your resort, to go visit the other right. resorts. So you would take a morning. You would take half a day. You would take an evening to go to the Contemporary, to go out to Fort Wilderness, to go wherever it was. For these destination dining experiences, yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things. You know, it, there there were so many offerings that they wanted you to see, and even in you know everything you looked at, it was like planning your vacation, and it showed you everything at all the resorts, not for the resort, you know, not for the guests of that resort, for every guest of Walt Disney World. So I'm going to finish with you know the pick your favorite child question. Ryan Wilson, you're given it. You're given unlimited budget to bring back. Any one dining experience or restaurant in Walt Disney World history, what would it be? Oh, that's a tough one. 
uh, part of me says, bring back the actual second floor kitchen in the Columbia Harbor House for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> I would probably see something in the Odyssey. If I had my, you know, my druthers, I would, I would say that's the one thing to do. Like, you know, give it – but make it something unique. Make it something special and, and give it its due. You know, there's a lot of places I'd like to see come back for different reasons, but I think I would have to say, practically speaking and venue-wise, the Adventureland veranda. I mm-hmm. think Magic Kingdom could certainly use another dining yeah. location, um, whether it be sit-down or counter service, however you were to do it. I think the venue is so beautiful and fits in so well, and I think especially with you know, the popularity of Magic Kingdom, you could always use a little bit more there. So as much as for sentimental reasons, I almost went to the, the Diamond Horseshoe show. Uh, I'm going to stick with Adventureland Veranda. But I want to hear from you, the, the listener. I want to hear which of these or something else that we might have missed you would love to have come back or you missed so much or that favorite food item that you wish Walt Disney World would bring back. Do me a favor. Come to the show notes at wdwradio.com. Click on the podcast link and then find this week's episode there you can leave a comment. Again, we'll keep commenting there. Go to facebook.com slash WDWradio and or tweet me. I'm at Lou Mangiello. And include Ryan Wilson. He's main ST Gazette. I'll put links to hit all of his stuff in the show notes as well. Tell us what you miss and why, whether it's food, restaurant, dining experience, whatever. And also, please, don't just follow Ryan, but go and check out all of the good stuff he has over at Main Street gazette.com and say Ryan I can't wait for you to come back on WWE Radio because nobody has more fun than us especially as we look back on our um, sometimes ridiculous sense of nostalgia it's true but yeah nobody has more fun than us awesome man thank you so very much we have lots more to cover and um, Melvin the Moose maybe bring back Melvin the Moose <laughs> or make the you know adventure in veranda kind of like be our guest you know cable service or quick service during the day cable service at night have a very you know have a tiki kind of show going on or there's all kinds of options there odyssey restaurant what would you do with the odyssey restaurant <laughs> yeah there's so many options Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I invite you to test your knowledge on Walt Disney World history, or see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see, and maybe even what you hear, you can then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, I was, once again, in a very nostalgic mood, and was thinking a lot about the original Journey into Imagination Pavilion that opened back in 1983, specifically the Imageworks area, that post-show experience that took place on the second floor, which has unfortunately been closed for years, and remembering how elements of the original Journey into Imagination attraction were brought into the upstairs experience as well. And in fact, Dreamfinder had his own school, and it was the Dreamfinder School of blank. And your question was last week was to fill in that blank. And again, hundreds of you, almost a thousand of you, responded and got this one correct because it was, of course, the Dreamfinders School of Drama. 
So congratulations and thanks to all of you who entered last week. I randomly selected one entry from all the correct ones that were submitted. And last week's winner of all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, a copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World, and a mystery vinyl mission is... Brent Petrillo. So, Brent, congratulations. Please send me your contact info. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So many attractions in Walt Disney World feature celebrity voiceover artists and wonderful narrators, everything from safety spiels to cameos to full attraction narrations. And one of the greatest is comedian Don Rickles. And he's actually been featured in more than one attraction over the years at Walt Disney World. So tell me at least two places in Walt Disney World where you can, or at one time could, hear the voice of Don Rickles. You have until Sunday, July 27th at 11.59 p.m. to send your answer to contest at wdwradio.com. You'll be playing... Once again, for all the audio tours, a signed copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money, for and at Walt Disney World, and a mystery Disney pin. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks so much for taking the time to tune in this and every week. Once again, thanks to all of you who have been going over to Amazon.com, rating and reviewing my book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World. Again, it's available in print for your Kindle, in iBooks, Kobo, and you can also get it as a PDF by visiting Disney102.com. Special thanks to Logan Stump and David Fay for their recent reviews. Again, we now have more than 100 reviews. Really appreciate it. Very, very helpful. So thank you again to all of you who have purchased the book and are enjoying it and sharing the love on Amazon and also sending me your pictures of you with the book sort of out and about. I've had people send me pictures of the book at the beach, on airplanes, in the parks, anywhere at all. You can always just tweet me at Lou Mangello or send them to Lou at wdwradio.com and I'll share those on Facebook and Twitter as well. Don't forget that in addition to this podcast, which you can find and subscribe over on iTunes, please join me for WDW Radio Live every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern at wdwradiolive.com. I do a live video broadcast, an interactive chat room where I talk about this week's Walt Disney World news, ask and answer questions to those of you in the chat room. When the news is done, we normally just hang out for a little while after and talk just about anything at all that you want. Again, that's Wednesdays, 7.30 at WDW Radio Live. You can watch via your web browser or by going to the Ustream app for your iPhone or Android device and just searching for WDW Radio. Also, visit the website for daily blog posts, new videos, our newsletter, the iPhone app, and lots more. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, go to youtube.com slash WDW Radio. I do release some videos, not only there first, but exclusively to YouTube. So if you do want to catch them, please go and subscribe and comment there as well. I love hearing from you. So if you have a comment or a question, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, click on the Leave Lou a voicemail button on the website or call 407-900-9391. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello, facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. Or you can like the WDW Radio page at facebook.com slash, you guessed it, WDW Radio. And as much as I love connecting with you guys online, nothing, 
Nothing, my friends, beats a handshake and a hug, and that's why I like to do meets of the month every month in Walt Disney World. The next meet of the month is going to be this Saturday at uh, Starbucks in downtown Disney on the west side. That's going to be Saturday, July 26th from 2 to 4 p.m. Also in August, our meetup is going to be Saturday morning, August 9th at the Boardwalk Bakery from 9.30 to 11 before our Neverland and Sea event kicks off. Stay tuned for information about September's Meet of the Month, but also mark your calendars for Saturday, September 27th. I'll be doing a live broadcast from the Disney Weddings and Honeymoon Showcase over at Disney's Grand Floridian Resort and Spa. So if you can't get out there for the event and you're thinking about planning a wedding or your honeymoon to Walt Disney World, I'll be covering the event for you live. Also, I have other meetups not on, uh, not in Walt Disney World. I'll be in Dallas in August on the 16th and 17th, speaking at Podcast Movement. Going to have a meetup that weekend, most likely Sunday night, August 17th, somewhere at the Western Westin Galleria. Definitely stay tuned to lumangelo.com slash events for more information as well. Quick thanks to my partners and sponsors, Mouse Fan Travel. Look, if you're coming to Walt Disney World or on a cruise or to Disneyland, or if you want to go to Dallas, Mouse Fan Travel can help you get the best possible prices, all available discounts. Most important, they will give you an incredible level of personal service at zero, zero cost to you. Visit them over at mousefantravel.com and get Celebrations Magazine delivered right to your door by visiting celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Come by, comment on Facebook. Share links over there as well. And please go to iTunes, rate and review the show there as well. Bearcat, Matt, Ray Noma, Buahaha, Mr. JGG, and Jess Chambers recently posted some great reviews there. So thank you very, very much. And not just for the reviews and for taking the time to listen, but for letting me share my passion for Disney with you in so many ways. In case you can't tell, I love Disney. I love talking about the things that make us all happy about going there. And it is an incredible blessing and a gift to be able to share that with you. So thank you. And I want you to feel the same way about what you do every day. So if what you're doing right now isn't working, right? If the plan's not working, change the plan. Don't change the goal. And if there's ever any way that I can help you, please tweet me or email me. Let me know what I can do. But until then, and until next time, I hope you guys have a fantastic week this week. So until next week, have a wonderful week, everybody. Thanks for listening. See ya. Hi, Lou. This is Tori Jeans calling from a much too warm uh, Phoenix, Arizona. My husband and I have been playing catch up, uh, and we just finished listening to show number 276 about the various nooks and crannies of World Showcase. Uh, in that show, you made a beautiful point about the representation of the Temple of Heaven and how you can stand in the center of the room and take in the beauty and symbolism of that structure. Um, what we found funny is that my husband and I just visited Beijing for our honeymoon last year, and we visited the actual Temple of Heaven, and unfortunately, what we found is that you can no longer enter the structure. Uh, they have it completely barred off. The best you can do is stick your head over some railings and try and peer up, uh, that being contingent upon you pushing past a bunch of other tourists to even get near the bars. 
So in this case, I would say one point Disney, zero China. Uh, in two ways. Thought that was kind of funny, uh, to share. We both love the show and the positivity that you bring to our days and we're sure many others. Uh, keep up the good work. See ya. Hello, Lou Hello, WDW Radio. People and listeners and friends. This is Darlene Nagy from West Jennifer, New York. We are now 316 days or 15 days. I don't know which camera down I'm using. Um, I am so excited for the Disney Wonder Cruise with the WDW Radio Group, and I'm actually going to be going to Disney in uh, 13 days, and then I will be going in another 47 days with my daughter. I'm looking forward to the Neverland event. That will be a lot of fun. Thank you, Lou and Becky, for throwing that together from that can make it. I hope to see a lot of my friends at that event. Um, at the Atlantic Dance Hall in, oh my goodness, now less than two weeks. Yay! Or three weeks. Three weeks, less than three weeks. Two weeks, I'll be going to Disney. Yay! Okay, guys, have a great one and a magical day. Stay safe and dry and enjoying the summer weather. Talk to you real soon. You've got a friend.